Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on today's show is my colleague Steve Malanga. He's the senior editor of City Journal and the George M. Yeager Fellow at the Manhattan Institute. And he's the author of a brand new story in our uh, summer issue of our quarterly magazine. It's called An Epidemic of Bad Budgeting. And that's uh, mostly what we're going to talk about today. So, Steve, thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, This piece, and it's in our print issue, uh, walks through the um, kind of crisis that cities were facing uh, uh, when hit with the pandemic, the budget crisis. Your argument um, was that their situation actually was based on some pre-existing financial problems that have subsequently been masked over by all of the federal aid that's been coming from both uh, the Trump administration and now the Biden administration after the pandemic struck, that they've basically bailed these cities out so that the underlying financial problems have been hidden. Uh, could you you know, just describe the main themes of this print uh, feature story and just how acute was the financial problem becoming before the pandemic struck? Yeah. So when the pandemic did hit cities as well as states, um, made a lot of appeals, first to the Trump administration and later to the Biden administration for direct budgetary aid. Much of the aid that came during the Trump administration was actually in the form of uh, direct aid to to support the uh, effort against the pandemic itself, aid to hospitals, um, uh, uh, expanding Medicaid. But the cities complained that the shutdown in the economy that they said was necessary had also destroyed their budgets. Uh, And uh, uh, although Trump would not provide any direct aid of this sort, and Republicans refused to do so, when the Biden administration came in, they put together an unprecedented $350 billion package for states and cities that amounts to about $130 billion in direct aid to cities uh, for for use for the budgets. The problem uh, is that... um, Many cities were in dire financial condition before the pandemic because we had been in a 10-year economic expansion. And yet, despite that, crucial cities had continued to use um, debt rather than balancing their budgets with revenues. Um, They hadn't uh, 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 cut their budgets sufficiently Uh, back during the 2008-2009 recession and the aftermath of that when uh, when revenues slumped. And as as the the economy rebuilt itself, states didn't really do anything to correct their budgets uh, and to get them in shape for the next recession, which was inevitable. No one understood that it would be a pandemic recession. But to give you an example of this, Um, an organization called the Institute for Truth and Accounting uh, did a study based on 2019 numbers. So this is pre-pandemic of the largest 75 cities in America. And they found that um, 62 of them had consistently not balanced their budget with revenues. In other words, they'd used techniques like um, debt you, you know, to, to, to pay for ongoing um, uh, uh, programs, uh, many times, you know, in violation of state rules and laws in many, in many places. Um, so even before the pandemic struck, 
states had built up the, the biggest, largest of cities, rather the largest 75 cities in America had built up about $350 billion in debt and were consistently not balancing their budget by doing things like using debt to pay for uh, everyday operations or not, not paying the full load on their pension requirements and racking up a healthcare retiree debt that they weren't funding. Uh, so, so the problem was there well before the pandemic. And then when the pandemic struck, what happened is many of these states, cities rather, reverted to using questionable financial techniques, again, to add new debt uh, to their roles. Um, and they used essentially the pandemic as an excuse. So we've got this pattern where every time there's a recession, cities do questionable things that they probably shouldn't be doing, that they stretch essentially the limits of the law uh, in many states uh, to do these things. And they and once the good times reoccur, they never essentially catch up. And that's why they're kind of spinning their wheels in place, cities. And that's why they were in such poor condition to deal with a pandemic uh, when it hit. In a sense, they've been kicking the can down the road when it comes to paying their debts, um, you know, without any kind of responsibility here, with, without these local governments being held accountable for their profligacy. Uh, how long is it going to be before some of these problems become really um, significant? Well, of course, after the last recession, we saw uh, uh, quite a number of uh, big cities, Detroit, um, Stockton, uh, 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 Harrisburg, become insolvent because of some of these debt problems. Um, what we saw, you know, uh, in the aftermath of, of the pandemic is real cities on the edge, including growing cities. I'll give you an example. Nashville is one of the fastest growing economies. Uh, metro economies in the country. If there's any city that shouldn't be having financial problems at this time, it's Nashville. Um, but but immediately after the pandemic hit, they projected an incredible um, uh, deficit on a on a two and a half billion dollar budget of, of several hundred million dollars. Now the backstory to this is that even before the pandemic hit, the um, uh, controller of the state of Tennessee had threatened a state takeover of Nashville because they'd spent the last 10 years building up debt. They'd started, you know, they started using debt to fund their budget back in 2010 after the last recession. And despite all this economic growth, they never caught up. So it's, it, we're talking about bad budgeting practices here. We're talking about at the first sign of an economic slowdown, rather than cutting uh, essential prog uh, inessential programs or uh, paring back um, uh, uh, wages and salaries and, and, and benefits, uh, the cities start using uh, debt financing and other kinds of financing, sometimes in very, I guess what we'd call tricky ways. They're, essentially, they exploit loopholes which stretch the limits of the law. Um, so so uh, the, in, the, in the pandemic, what happened is a lot of cities were, were, were facing this precipice um, Chicago was another one. Um, New York City w uh, was another one. Uh, and then the Biden administration comes up with this incredible package of um, 
of help for both state budgets and city budgets and that the state money filters down to the cities and then there's direct aid to, to the cities. So all of that goes away. What doesn't go away, however, are all the bad budgeting practices and all the new debt they've accumulated, um, including using several techniques uh, uh, to raise debt uh, and extend pension you know, costs uh, in the billions of dollars uh, during 2020. So that's a legacy of this recession, if you, as, if you will, in the same way that there's still a legacy of the 2008 recession that's hanging over some cities. One possible outcome here, and this anticipates a story uh, you're working on now that will appear in our um, autumn issue, is that uh, there are going to be reforms on the state level to kind of preempt urban irresponsibility. Uh, whether you know whether it's bad fiscal practice as you're describing here, or decisions that are being made to defund police departments, or other kind of you know really unsound policies, these kind of conflicts between states and cities have a long history. Um, is this just another chapter in a long-running tug of war between states and cities, or or are we seeing a, a kind of shift with with some of the political divergences emerging? on different government levels here, having an impact on, on how some of these conflicts are handled? Well, to tell you the truth, some of these, what, we think, what they call state preemptions um, uh, that we're seeing lately are on areas like uh, everything from minimum wage law uh, to uh, environmental, uh, 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 environmental legislation that states are moving to block cities from enacting on their own. The irony is that when it comes to financial, to state, uh, city finances, many states have had these preemptions, or if you want to call them that, for decades. In other words, the one area where sta states have been pretty clear is about the way cities are supposed to, to act financially. There are, you know, you're, they're not allowed technically to run deficits, but very, you know, virtually every state uh, constitution. Uh, has some type of prohibition against municipalities running doing deficit financing. Many of them have limits on debt uh, that that cities uh, can uh, can undertake. But what what happens is that cities find loopholes or they try to exploit loopholes. Unfortunately, state courts let them do that. And so, if you look at some of the biggest bankruptcies. The notable, uh, notable one would be the bankruptcy of Detroit after the 2008 uh, 2009 recession. They were using debt uh, they, uh, to, that essentially violated the Michigan state constitution, but they used a technique called, it's a very sophisticated technique, um, which they claimed got them around the debt le le limits. When the city filed for bankruptcy, uh, and it went into U.S. bankruptcy court, uh, essentially a judge said that um, this, this debt had violated Michigan law, and um, the, the, the people who purchased this debt received just cents on the dollar for what they had invested, um, because essentially both the judge and the bankruptcy, uh, bankruptcy trustee of Detroit said that um, this was just illegal that you that 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 you shouldn't have used this technique. 
there's too much of this going on all around America. And in the story that I talk about from the summer issue, I talk about places like um, Phoenix and uh, uh, rather Tucson and Flagstaff in Arizona, essentially buying uh, uh, or selling their streets and their city, uh, their streets and their, uh, their publicly owned golf courses and City Hall selling them to themselves, to these shell corporations, um, and then paying rent to themselves, if you will, as a way of um, uh, raising new money through debt. Uh, and it's a very sophisticated uh, uh, concept, which essentially uses debt that isn't called debt. Uh, so, I mean, the, the very idea of, you know, of a, of a city selling its golf courses to itself and then renting them back essentially just as a way of uh, raising more debt to, to, to do deficit financing, you know, the courts should step in and should have stepped in a long time ago um, to stop that kind of stuff. Because, of course, in some city, uh, states have not, it should be up to the, the states themselves to clamp down with new laws that outlaw some of these techniques or at the very least require that when cities want to um, use them, that they have to be approved by voters. You can really uh, see on the horizon a number of bankruptcies uh, of big municipalities. Uh, should you know? Should there be another significant uh, downturn in the economy soon? Uh, so it's it's very alarming, and it's a very important piece to call attention to uh, these these practices. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit and and discuss tax policy. You've written a number of recent web pieces for City Journal's website uh, about the various approaches that states are taking to tax poly, policy in the, you know, the post-COVID era. Uh, many red states, which are now flush with cash, have decided to return some of their surpluses to the taxpayer by cutting taxes. But other states, including Massachusetts and, and Washington, have sought to raise taxes despite having significant um, you know, surpluses in some cases, and certainly receiving massive aid uh, from the federal government. So what's been the reaction to these measures in places like Massachusetts and Washington among taxpayers, uh, which are basically making a kind of punitive justification for tax hikes? Are we approaching uh, a new era of tax policy competition among states? Well, I think there's, uh, that's definitely starting to emerge. And frankly, it's reminiscent of what happened again after the, um, um, the last uh, recession. Uh, in 2009, states, mostly led by Democratic-governed uh, states, raised taxes by an aggregate total of $29 billion. It was the largest single-year state tax increase up to that point. A few years after that, uh, especially after the 2010 uh, gubernatorial elections in which a, a, a whole bunch of new governors were elected, uh, especially Republican governors, they reacted by cutting taxes. And so we saw this real dichotomy. You play, places like Texas, governors were going around uh, and advertising their tax cuts to uh, companies, businesses in places like Illinois and California saying, come here instead. Um, what we've seen so far in, in this particular year, um, you, you know, first of all, state tax, um, uh, state tax collections bounce back faster than uh, virtually anybody uh, projected they would. Um, 
And on top of that, states themselves um, received um, several hundred billion dollars from the Biden administration to spend as they see fit. So states are everywhere awash with tax. I've seen that. I've seen that headline in, in newspapers around the around the country about this state or that state being awash in cash. Um, and we see big increases in spending as a result. Um, you know, Washington State, to take one example, just finished their budget for the, a two-year budget. They've had a 12% increase in spending. I mean, that's an enormous number for a state in any year, but particularly, you know, in in, in this situation where this, the state isn't even, its economy isn't even completely open yet. But that's the kind of money that's available. Um, there have been 11 states in the wake of this money becoming available, that decided to cut taxes, despite the fact that the Biden administration tried to prevent this by saying that states would not be receiving their uh, stimulus money uh, if they used it to cut taxes. Um, and so th- and there were a, a bunch of attorney generals from states um, that were cutting taxes sued, and this, was, this, was, this became a, a very big issue. Virtually all of the states, all, all of the states that have cut taxes are Republican leaning or governed essentially by Republican Republicans. In some cases, there's a Republican legislature and and um, uh, a Democratic uh, governor, but but essentially uh, they're essentially re- uh, heavily Republican leaning. We've seen a couple of places raise taxes. The one that's already done it is is uh, New York State. Um, they had you know something like twelve billion dollars in stimulus money from the Biden administration. Uh, and yet they raised taxes by $4.3 billion. Massachusetts and Washington state are both attempting to raise taxes, but they have constitutional issues, and so they have to go to the voters. Massachusetts's uh, Democratic-led legislature has already placed uh, something on the ballot that would allow them to raise taxes by $2 billion. Um, uh, uh, And the reason they have to go to the ballot is that you can't have a progressive income tax in Massachusetts, according to state constitution. Uh, they want to raise taxes on the rich, which is also, by the way, what New York did. Washington state is in a similar situation. Their constitution doesn't even allow an income tax, a state income tax. Um, so they've tried to get around this. Uh, there have been 10 referendum over the decades uh, in which they asked the people of Washington whether they could amend the Constitution to start an income tax, and all 10 have been defeated. So they recently tried to get around this, the Democratic legislature, by passing a capital gains tax, which they say is not an income tax. Now, again, this is this is going to the courts. Typically, capital gains taxes and dividends taxes are, ta- are taxes that are, you know, um, uh, uh, enacted through an income tax system. So this is a matter of controversy, but in Washington state, as a result, a number of localities, cities and, and municipalities around the state are now passing resolutions saying they don't want a state income tax. Uh, they think it's going to hurt their competitive advantage. The Economic Development Authority of Washington state uh, advertises uh, to people and companies that want to come there that we don't have an income tax, uh, but the state is trying to raise an income tax. Now, again, this is a place that that, that had so much money, they were able to increase spending by a 12%. But the proponents of the tax said, essentially, again, this would be a tax, uh, a, a graduated income, a, a capital gains tax would, would mostly hit wealthier people, that they've said that 
that wealthy people have a, a moral imperative, essentially, to contribute more. So these, these in th all three cases, these tax increases during you know, times of significant uh, government resources, these, all three of these are being pitched as a kind of moral crusade to tax the rich because they should be paying more, not because the money is necessarily needed. That is definitely a new model. Even in 2009, you know, uh, Democrats were talking about raising taxes because um, government revenues were declining or stagnating and government programs, they said, needed to be funded. This is, a, this is really a new model here. And um, we'll see how far this goes, but it's a very uh, interesting model. Illinois is another state that would have raised taxes. Its current administration would have raised taxes, except, again, their constitution prohibits the kind of tax increase they wanted, and citizens voted it down last November. Let's close by talking a little bit more about New York, which you've, which you've just mentioned. Um, Andrew Cuomo has now had to resign after allegations of sexual harassment. Um, his most recent budget, as E.J. E. McMahon has written for us, was, was a kind of blowout budget, a massive increase in spending. Um, you know, what might the future of New York's fiscal policy look like, both on the city and the state levels? Because we also have uh, a, a mayoral race coming up, and uh, uh, Eric Adams is likely to become the new mayor of New York City. Um, and you know, the governor's office is, is going to be wide open heading into next year. So, so what do, you know, what, what do things look like here? Are we going to see more of this kind of, uh, punitive taxation, um, or, or return to sanity? Well, even before Andrew Cuomo resigned, the city journal was writing and observing that New York's, uh, elections in New York state were turning the city, uh, the state rather, uh, the state legislature increasingly progressive. Um, Cuomo's, uh, Cuomo used to be a figure of kind of moderation in New York uh, State, but um, he's been he's been you know backpedaling even before the uh, at the uh, uh, sexual harassment allegations. He was backpedaling because of um, the uh, the, uh, uh, the the deaths in nursing homes in New York. Uh, and his, and his administration's hand in ordering those nursing homes to take back from hospitals elderly people who were infected with COVID. So he, he's been, if you will, losing power. And, and so the progressive legislatures just steamrolled him, essentially, um, uh, uh, earlier this year when they passed the budget um, uh, at, at the end of, in the, in the springtime. Um, his... Um, his deputy mayor, uh, I'm sorry, deputy uh, lieutenant governor, uh, she um, she's she doesn't have much of a power base on her own. And if we go back to when uh, Elliot Spitzer was uh, uh, had to um, uh, resign from New York, uh, as New York State governor uh, because of uh, similar sexual improprieties. Um, and his lieutenant government, David Patterson, took over, and they and the legislature just steamrolled him and raised all kinds of taxes. So it's difficult for me to see uh, New York State heading in any direction except higher and higher taxes. They actually wanted this year, the legislature, about $7 billion in taxes. So they got a little bit more than half of that. But they have all kinds of ideas for new taxes. 
And I don't see any reason that they won't come back asking for more, especially now because the administration is incredibly weakened um, and the state itself is heading, Albany, if you will, the state capital is heading, uh, is, is increasingly in the arms of, uh, of progressive legislators. Right. And, and uh, this is true as well of New York City Council, which is increasingly dominated by, by the left. So it is, um, it is a disturbing uh, picture on the state and city level when it comes to the kind of uh, fiscal responsibility that the state clearly needs and the city clearly needs. Um, you know, as we come out of this pandemic. Thanks very much, Steve. Uh, don't forget to check out Steve Malanga's work on the City Journal website. That's www.city-journal.org. We'll link to his author page in the description. His essay in the autumn issue, again, is terrific. It's called An Epidemic of Bad Budgeting. Very, very um, illuminating discussion of all of these issues. And you can also find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. And as always, as I always say, if you like what you've heard on the podcast, please give us a nice ratings on iTunes. So thanks again, Steve Malanga, as always. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.